Here we go, spring of 2021. This is the 1080 Outdoors Podcast Land Management Series, where our main focus is pursuing the truth for everyday hunters like you. I wouldn't say it's kind of an FU, it's definitely an FU. Chronicle and document how our season's going and give you real-time updates, overall land management practices. You have to find a way to hunt big buck where they are. Outdoors podcast, episode number 87. Are you interested in conservation? Are you interested in what conservation groups do? Are you interested in maybe helping a conservation group? Our guest today, Sam Solholt, has created a company called Public Land Tees that centers around helping conservation. They have just come out with a new product. Head over to publiclandtees.com and buy the new conservation t-shirt. It gives you access to five different conservation groups for the next year. Sam and I also talk about turkey hunting out west and some of the political stuff behind conservation and the importance of everything. Um, It's a pretty good interview. Sam has become a pretty regular guest on our show. Um, I think it's the third time he's been on. Uh, So head on into this podcast and then go to publiclandtees.com after the podcast and buy a shirt. And make sure you leave a note in the purchase that you heard from this from us. So enjoy the podcast with Sam Soholt. All right. I am joined with Mr. Sam Soholt, who is becoming the most... Frequented guest on the 1080 Outdoors podcast. Sam, how are we doing today? I am doing great. Happy to be back on the show. Hey, happy to have you, brother. You kind of have some big stuff going on right now. Yeah, a lot, lot happening in the moment. Yeah, well, first of all, let's catch up on what's been going on. We, we, I think we're in a routine now of like every March we have you on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What do you have plan for this spring what turkey hunts are you doing where are you headed are you, ta- are you catching up on on lost ground from last year the year of covid or are you kind of yeah in a new routine uh doing i guess a couple different hunts i've got one uh montana hunt that i've haven't done in the past so that that one got canceled last year uh, so that one would be fun going out with uh the hunting public boys and some guys from onyx we're gonna go out and chase merriam's for a week or so um, but I've got tags in North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, and Montana this year, and then potentially Minnesota, but um, kind of depends on timing in May and how all that goes down. But yeah, it should be a good spring. I'm just pumped to, you know, kind of like the travel restrictions at least have been, you know, lifted for the most part. Um, so it'll be fun to get back to some places that have been in the past that couldn't go last year. I mean, Nebraska completely shut off tag sales. Uh, like Kansas, you had to quarantine for 14 days. If you showed up there, um, I wasn't a resident for long enough of North Dakota. So it'd be my first time ever hunting North Dakota. So pumped about that, but, um, yeah, should be a good spring. Is, uh, your area in North Dakota, are you looking at Merriam's or Easterns or hybrids? Uh, it'll probably be Easterns, maybe hybrids a little bit, but yeah, mostly Easterns. Probably like South Dakota has more Merriam's you'd say than North Dakota. Cause cause they're, yeah. Yeah, I think like the Black Hills area and everything, like it's just chock full of turkey. So there's a lot of, a lot of like purebred Merriams out there. Yeah, yeah, I know it's, God, I, I, Nebraska was kind of a nice little, uh, little getaway for us too. They opened last week. Have you, have yep. you seen much from, I haven't seen it. I feel like I haven't seen as many people posting kills. You know, I've, there was a lot of people posting about going to Nebraska and I've only seen, you know, a handful of people posting success. 
Yeah. But did you guys did you guys end up going opening? No, we didn't. We didn't. Yeah. Well, it's I, I don't like I've myself. been <laughs> I've done that a couple I've done it a couple times, that opener uh with archery. And man, it's 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 you can do it, but it's hard because they're so grouped up still depending on how the winter went. And so you might have uh, you know, an opener where it's just on fire, where it's warmed up enough where stuff is starting to break up a little bit and whatever, but for most of the time, what I've run into is huge groups. And if you don't get lucky on cutting a group off or, you know, being in the right spot where you like just catching a Tom that just broke off or something like it's just a lot of watching turkeys and not a lot happening. Yeah. We did two, two years in a row. We did straight public and just got our asses kicked because we'd find big flocks, but they were like impressively smart on public. It was just very difficult to actually get shots at them. Like you'd be around mm-hmm. them and you'd be in them. And then you'd go over the neighbors and there'd be like 150 birds strutting on a deck. Um, <laughs> and like, there's so like the one piece went to like a 40 acre chunk in a giant piece of public. And of course, in that 40 acre chunk, there's a building and there's literally like 150 to 200 birds strutting in the people's front yard on mm-hmm. in some on their deck. Yep. And I'm like, shit, the public's right above that house. They have to be roosting on public. Mm-hmm. So we went in the next morning and uh, they flew right down to the yard, which whatever. I figured they'd come back. We got them to come back and they went right up to the fence line, followed the public fence line for like 300 yards parallel to it, and then went back down to the yard. We drove around <laughs> later and they were, they were down there at like midday. Yeah. So then we went yeah. to, we, we did get on some private and it was slam dunk. You're in the yeah. giant flocks. It was awesome. Yeah. The other, yeah. Thing I the, noticed uh, there, the other thing I noticed there too, is it was odd is one year we went out there and it was really bad numbers, like compared comparative to like a different time. We were out further West and we talked mm-hmm. to a, a, a DNR person and he said that, that they're way more susceptible out there with like flooding. So if they had a wet, like crappy timing spring, they just get wiped out sure like the 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 broods that next year just can't survive in those prairies i guess with bad floods yeah i mean i would imagine so just because they'd be way more susceptible to predators if they can't be you know kind of hidden and fixed up a little bit and if it's if there's a lot of moisture i mean basically their best best covers all those creek bottoms and everything like the only place water is going to (laughs) go so um yeah what's your expectations on montana uh, I'm pumped, man. I've, yeah, that's I've, gonna be crazy. Yeah. I'm, uh, we'll be hunting, uh, yeah, be hunting Merriam's out there. So it'll be like, you know, prairie birds basically. Um, but I think we'll have a, I think we'll have a good time. Hopefully we'll get into some birds. I've, uh, never been in the area where we're going, but some of the guys have been out there and, and know at least some starting points. So no egg. Yeah. Very little egg. I think, you know, we'll probably be fine and mostly, you know, looking for like, uh, like any creek sort bottoms. of creek bottoms, cottonwood draws, you know, stuff like that, just to try to pinpoint some birds. Um, I'm guessing there probably is some egg in some of those bottoms, but it's all private. So we'll probably be playing that game where we're either catching them coming back to roost or trying to find, you know, if they're roosting far enough up a drainage or something where we can cut them off before they get to the private. Yeah. I mean, the, the nice thing is out there is you, te- you can, well, Miriam's gobble a lot. Like, they're yeah, that's the best part. Out. Yeah. So, like, I've like getting them to gobble in the afternoon in the roost tree, like actually putting birds to bed, it just seems they're so much easier to do that. Plus, you can see them. Like, you can get yeah. in a spot and like actually visually see them in the trees. Yeah. Now, to get them to come past you, different story. Different story. <laughs> like, it seems like it should be simple. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
No, it'll be fun. And and we're going during, you know, we're going like mid-May. So that's my favorite time to hunt anyway for turkeys. Like a lot of people get so fired up, you know, early in the season. And, uh, you know, a lot of people kill birds early in the season, but it's pretty easy to get burned out early when they're not like being as vocal and being, you know, like as fired up. But when you can start to get them where it's like you got a lone Tom or two Toms that are just like lonely and searching and all the hens are on nests, man, it's just, you can have a lot of fun the numbers are good. So like, I mean, you, we see, we've, I've only been out there early spring. So you see flocks of like 200, 300 birds. So yep. you know, the numbers are there. I can't yep. imagine when they split up, it would be pretty fun to hunt. And, you know, we had the Turkey doc on Mike Chamberlain and he talks about a lot, like the detriment that early season hunting does mm-hmm. do like once before breeding takes place, like killing uh, a bird in the pecking order really messes them up too. Yeah, I've listened to a couple of podcasts with him on it, and it almost makes you feel bad for hunting before like May first. Oh, he got me bad you know, last year. I know. Like all confused. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. But, <laughs> almost had um, Jed. Almost had Jed talked into not killing Jakes. <laughs> you know now. Uh, I heard that Wisconsin sold a like ridiculous amount of turkey tags this spring. Like typically in some of yeah. those units, there's a lot like you know tens of thousands of leftovers. And there was like 16,000 more people that put in, in my, tags this year. In my unit, like third, so like the first two seasons are usually you have to draw. Well, always yeah. you have to draw. Third yeah. season, then you have it. There's a, there's a, it's called, it's like a bonus day on like March 17th or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think there was only like 2,000 in my unit. And I, that's something like usually there's like 10. Yeah. Um, they always sell out, third season always sells out the first day. Yeah. And then I, I think fourth season might be even sold out now. Um, that's it's exponentially growing, man. Like it, that's, and I, I truly think that in, in my area in Wisconsin, there is an issue. Cause like when I look at the population from 10 years ago where I could literally drive and I don't have any science to back this up, but I have the properties that I would drive by. And, and like 10 years ago, I was hunting probably like 5,000 acres. Cause I would just go mm-hmm. knock doors. I was a freshman in college. Didn't have a life except Turkey on Yep. And like I said this on the podcast recently, I'm like, I don't know. I don't have science behind it, but if you gave me, if you say like there's a hundred fields that I used to see consistent turkeys in, it's like five now. And I'm not joking. Yeah. Yeah. And then you'll get the person that's like, well, no, I have 20 toms on my property. It's like, yeah, there's pockets for sure. But mm-hmm. there's no way you can't sit here and tell me like I I I hunted there 10 years ago and there's not turkeys here in like there used to be, there just isn't. And then like when you hear Mike talk, plus you look at the increase of tags and Wisconsin's been bad about it, man. Like you can get unlimited amount of tags fifth and sixth season. Mm-hmm. Yep. I had a buddy who killed over 20 birds one year. It's insane. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I think, I, I mean, I mean, it's one, it's one of the reasons that, uh, Wisconsin can be so fun during Turkey season, but at the same yeah, time, you like, like go back to the store and grab another tag or now just right. go on your phone, grab another tag. Like I, we've literally killed a bird, sat there, another bird's gobbling buy a tag and call the next one in. Mm-hmm. Like you can do it. It's that simple. Yeah. It, you know, there's been some, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever killed one like that, but I've definitely yeah. bought tags out in the field. Yeah. Standing There's been some, have you, have you been reading some of those interesting articles that have been coming out lately? Um, I, you know, there, was an article, there was an article on gear junkie that talked about like, uh, 
like potentially that hunter numbers aren't really declining or like, uh, and then Andrew McKean, a guy I really respect wrote an article for, uh, outdoor life talking about like, we don't really know how many hunter numbers there are because the data isn't consistent like per state. And so, um, you know, it takes some people like, you know, in certain states there's lifetime licenses. And so sometimes they don't count those lifetime license holders as a hunter in, you know, other than the year when they buy that lifetime license. And so we don't have like a single database. And a lot of times the data that we are looking at is a couple years old. And so it's hard to know, like, I mean, are we in like a, like, you know, it feels like we're in a massive spike right now because of COVID, you know, like uh, school sports have been closed down. Professional sports were closed down. I mean, like there was all these people that all the things that they used to do on the weekends or on the weekdays when they were, you know, running kids to practice or running kids to games or, you know, doing that whole thing or tailgating or whatever. Now they're just out in the field hunting. So I think there has been a big migration of people back to the field, but we like somehow we don't actually know how many hunters there are um, nationwide. So I, I have some reservations sometimes like, that's a, what a blanket statement. We're losing hunting, hunting numbers, right? Like who's like, number one, who's making it? What's yeah. like, do they have other alternative theory? Like what is, why would they be saying like, what's the point of it? There's, there's reasons behind it. Like sometimes I think in the hunting community too, like we're vulnerable with our personalities to like, if someone says that to you, like, like, God no, damn it. Oh, all right. We need to protect this. Like we need to protect right. this. Right. You know, and like how much of that is happening? Like, it's just weird weird kind of well think i mean how many like and i you know appreciate anybody that's working on r3 you know the um like the hunter recruitment retainment and reintroduction um that anybody that's working on that is doing great things you know get more people out and like it's more licenses being sold and it's more everything it's more money in the coffer for habitat management practices all of those things but that being said i think it is important like to make sure that we have the right data, like to where we're, you know, recruiting people who are going to do it long-term and, you know, like, it's just, it's going to be interesting to kind of see what come shakes out over these next five years, probably as data starts to be more better collected um, from the States. And uh, if anybody's listening to this and hasn't read the articles, there was one by a good friend of mine, Nicole Qualtieri, and she uh, wrote a good article for Gear Junkie about Hunter Numbers just kind of, it just makes you think about both sides of the issue. And then Andrew McKean on Outdoor Life wrote the one for our Outdoor Life. And that was a great article. And then there was a very like kind of controversial article on Mediator recently by Steve's brother, Matt. And he was basically like, stop telling people to go hunting. Like, because I, like people keep, you know, I keep having more and more people hunt in the spots that I like to hunt. Um, and so I think it's important that we are looking at it from all angles. Like obviously my whole mission and our company's whole mission is to make sure that we have enough funding for the management practices that we need for both access and habitat and wildlife. um, In addition to making sure there's enough money to make that happen. So that's, you know, like our whole existence is to raise money to give back to the organizations that keep those things, you know, keep enough habitat on the ground to sustain more hunters. Yeah. And it's, no, no matter where you shake it, it's important, but um, he's probably right. Like the, especially the public land boom, mm-hmm. like there's been a public land boom. Like people 100%. used to have pretty much their own piece of private that was public. I'm sure are like, hate it. 
they yeah. hate it now because it's like yep. every especially beginner hunters now it's like every beginner hunter is like i'm gonna get a saddle and i'm gonna go hunt <laughs> yep yep 100 and uh and i think that's a lot of what we're seeing is you know like all of this and i'm 100 guilty of it and proud of it like how much education that we've given to people about public lands and how important they are yeah um but i i think that you know people that probably even hunted private land i think what's happening is two things there's a focused marketing effort about public lands and, and hunting on public land and in addition to that as the value of private land hunting goes up like and people are able to charge for people to come hunt on their property whether it be through leases or whether it be through you know something else handshake deals whatever it might be i think there are people that are losing access to those private lands and being forced to go hunt on public land so it's like this crossroads of the marketing boom plus the loss, you know, um, like just more people that aren't able to just go knock on a door and get access to some private land without, without forking over any money. So, well, and we look at it and it's, so let's, let's operate under the assumption that yes, I think hunter numbers are probably growing and especially in our age bracket. Cause like, I look at like all my friends who used to hunt still hunt. I don't know. Like, I don't think I know anybody who like gave hunting up if we think no, about not that, really if we think about this giant boom in public land and and it's our age bracket where it's like 2018 to like 30 year olds are hammering public right now when when we start getting the money to buy land the recreational land is going to increase even more you're going to have almost a bigger need for public in 20 years because private's going to almost it, i mean it's going to freaking price itself out of normal people at some point yeah for sure. If it hasn't kind of already, like compared to like 20 years ago, if you sat here 20 years ago and looked at private land prices and you're like, there's no way I'd ever be able to afford that, what it's at right now. I mean, what are we yeah. looking at in 20 more years when our group of people who are probably percentage wise in our demographic are even more involved in hunting, they're going to even want, they're going to want land even more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the answer is going to be. I mean, maybe there will be a giant recorrection, you know, on pricing at some point. Um, because definitely regionally, for sure, there are some places that have just hyperinflated pricing on, yeah. on ground. Um, but if people are able to get that price, you know, more power to them. Yeah. And I think the, the original reason we note is how important, um, like thinking about the turkey populations because it does seem like they are just a little bit more susceptible because mm -hmm. you see it in the south right now like they're having actual issues i think it's happening in wisconsin it hasn't really been talked about much yep. but if we look at where the south is right now wisconsin's technically what like five ten years behind them with the hunt like the boom of hunting and especially turkey yep. hunting but <clears throat> something has i think personally in wisconsin i think something that needs to change i think tags need to be pulled back a little bit i don't think it needs yeah. to be a free-for-all at the end of the year and i wouldn't yeah, be yeah. opposed to even pushing out the start till may 1st sure we're, we're yeah. nine days away like our the right. today yeah. this year is april 21st yeah it's just it in the long run it's really not that big of a deal like no, to have those extra days for the i mean i think if you ask anybody like seriously if they're willing to 
give up those days in order to protect the future of a species, like the answer is going to be absolutely like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to, not going to mess with that. But, but like, we have a weird population of people that would, I don't give a, you could show them things that were like, this is what's happening. And they'd be like, nope, nope, <laughs> nope. I got yeah. 10 turkeys in my backyard. <laughs> yeah. But you're going to have that with every, every yeah. species, every pot, you know, like that's, you're going to have those people all the time. So um, I think it's just continuing to make sure the right science is out there for everyone to see and just, you know, well, and I think holding our it. holding our state agencies accountable too. Like they need to do a better job. Like they should be able to show, they should be able to provide good numbers. Like let's let's think yeah. like let's get it figured out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, to play devil's advocate, like the North American model of conservation is relatively new. Like in it, you know, in relation to history, right? So, like I think a lot of the times, like we have a we think we have a good idea. And again, I don't have any science to back this up, but I think we think we have a good idea. And then we just start kind of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. Um, and it's worked for a lot of species, but you know, there's, there's going to have to be some changes. Yeah. What, well, what, what, like turkeys, wild turkeys in Wisconsin. I mean, you think about it, it's only 40 years old or mm -hmm. like, that's crazy. You have no idea. Like what, like what are the hundred, what's the hundred year ramifications of introducing a new animal to an area <laughs> right. or what that animal is capable of? Yeah. And then like, you know, but, uh, when was, when was the super, uh, the huge decline of turkeys way back when, uh, like when they were like basically extinct and then we well, I think it was right around that. It was in the 70s when they, when they reintroduced them to Wisconsin, cause I think there was like a threat. Yeah. So like, what are we going to have to do? Like, you know, if numbers drastically drop, are we going to have to like, oop, seasons are gone and then do again, like do reintroductions in areas and like, we'll let them just, I mean, probably, I mean, that'll probably be the answer if the population drops enough. I would love, I would hope that it would be a little bit more forethought and you'd have, we'd be able to start like preparing for that, but it's kind of the same thing with CWD. Like what if it jumps over to humans? What are we going to do? Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> like, it's the same kind of thing. I was like, right. well, that's going to be too late then. <laughs> right. Right. Like, God I mean, damn it. How could you yeah. have a season then? No, I mean, I, th I think the, the unfortunate thing about that comment is, I mean, I've heard science professionals on the matter. Like if it jumps to humans, like deer hunting is basically done. How, like, well, how could like, where, what we just go through the last year? You think they're just gonna let that shit run around? Nope. Not <laughs> going to happen. No. <laughs> absolutely so, not yeah but. so speaking of conservation groups and nwtf national wild turkey federation does a lot of stuff let's like what do you what's like the most important thing that people should know about the nwtf and what are they like i guess what's their sole purpose i know you're not like technically a spokesperson for them but kind of <laughs> yeah i mean obviously like nwtf played a integral part of reintroducing wild turkey and creating habitat for the wild turkey uh, I mean, myself, I've hunted on several locations that were like funded by the National Turkey Federation, and we've donated to the National Wild Turkey Federation in order to fund like uh, we did a project out west where we donated money to buy uh, sage bush, sage seedlings um, to regrow an entire area, which uh, helped like was had wild turkeys in it and was going to like help them a lot along with a bunch of other species. But yeah, I mean, NWTF's whole mission is to 
a keep wild turkeys like out there, the population's high and then B help people be involved in that process. And so like just being a member um, of NWTF goes a long way. And I think uh, it's important for anybody listening to understand that like the pandemic hit everybody hard and conservation was not left out of that. I mean, they like lost, like as a whole national conservation organizations lost millions and millions of dollars over the last year because they couldn't have all their annual their spring annual fundraising banquets. They couldn't have their national conventions. They couldn't have like all of these in-person meetings where they get a big portion of their memberships. I mean, think about the last time you've gone to an NWTF banquet. A lot of times the ticket price includes an annual membership. Wait, door prices. I mean, it's right. All of that stuff, you know, like, I mean, think like a, even a small regional banquet, you're looking at, you know, 40, 50 grand in donation or in like fundraising per event. And those are happening all over the place. And none of those happened in 2020 and now early 2021, like still like a lot of places aren't able to do that. Um, and they're yeah. finally getting back to it. If somebody came up to you and was like, you take away the conservation, you take away, you don't know the company. And they're like, Hey, do you think it was fun the last year running an event business, like oh. a business that focuses, that makes 80% of its 80 or 90% of its revenue on in-person events. Do you think that that business is doing well? <laughs> uh, I mean, the answer is no. no. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Granted, they probably I, had some type of boost just because I think overall money moved into the hunting industry more than others. But yeah, yeah. it's no yeah. way. There's no way. And that's, you know, it comes back on people like us too. It's like we needed those conservation groups need to be set up better where they are not susceptible to something like that, where it's like, hey, we have the internet. Yeah. And well, I think, I think exactly what you're doing right here. Yeah, I think in in one in like if there's any positive that came out of the uh, the last year as far as it comes goes for conservation groups is they were forced to learn how to uh, raise money online. And yeah. so when when things actually go back to in person, they're going to be able to uh, use a lot of those same tactics in order to you know get money both online and virtual banquets and that kind of stuff as well as the in person stuff. So they should be set up well. I mean, even on a, this massive loss year, you know, if they don't haven't lost too much and that's what we're trying to do is to help kind of like give a little stimulus in that regard. But um, hopefully that going forward, they'll be able to have more, you know, tricks up their sleeve as far as like getting people involved. So you're, you're comparing yourself to the stimulus checks. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> or you just inject yourself into their bank accounts. We are conservation stimulus <laughs> or, or, you know, more so everybody who's getting involved in this new project we got going on is, is injecting money. GDP. Yep. That's right. Well, let's get into it. What is, yeah. like, what is the big, what is the big thing that you guys are doing right now? So the latest conservation initiative that we have come out with through public land tees is conservation crossing. And this is a collaboration between us and five conservation organizations. And if you buy uh, we have a t-shirt for the project. It's uh, the Conservation Crossing tee. It's $125, which seems ridiculous to buy a t-shirt for $125. But anybody who buys it automatically gets enrolled for an annual membership for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Delta Waterfowl, National Wild Turkey Federation, Mueller Foundation, and Pheasants Forever. So you just go to our website at publiclandtees.com. You buy the shirt. We will ship you the shirt and a matching decal, and then we get 
you don't have to do anything. We funnel all of the information over to each conservation organization, and then they send out the member packets and everything that goes along with that. And the best part is if you're already a member of any of those groups, all this does is renew or extend your current membership. That's awesome. Yeah. So, what so are like, what, what's some of the basic questions that people have? I think that uh, would have been a big one is like, yeah, if, if, if I'm already a member, so if I'm already a member of one of them and it extends it for one year, so you guys have it figured out in the back end. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. Um, all of the organizations were on board with just, they have a database. And if you like already file into that database, your name and, and information gets logged in it. Do they just either add a year to your current membership or renew your upcoming membership? Um, so that was that probably the biggest question that we needed to answer. Yeah. Um, some of the other ones, like, I think a lot of people don't understand like all of the benefits that come with being a member of all of these organizations. Like, uh, I've been doing a takeover all day on backcountry hunters and anglers page. So all their stuff is fresh in my mind, but you get a quarterly backcountry hunting journal, which is stories about backcountry hunting and fishing, as well as all of like the conservation initiatives that they're working on bills that you need to be, you know, like educated on different stuff that's happening in the world of conservation. Like just in that one magazine alone, you get to a ton of information and then they have uh, discounts through partners. So like Vortex Optics, for instance, is a, you know, corporate sponsor for BHA and anybody who's a member gets 20% off Vortex apparel. Uh, you also get 20% off like Filson apparel. You get 10% off your a first order at First Light Camo. Um, I mean, there's just, and then on top of that, like, because you're, you know, put into the system, they connect you with your local chapter. You get to hear about all the events that are happening, whether they're doing a pint night or a get together or a river cleanup or a, you know, and, and one thing that I think BHA does, you know, really well is rally the troops when there is a bill um, that is either positive or negative for sportsmen and women, they do a really good job of like getting their membership base fired up and acting and reaching out to their, you know, representatives and senators to make sure their voice is heard about all of those things. So, and that's just BHA. I mean, Mule Deer Foundation, same thing. You get a quarterly magazine, you get uh, discounts to a whole bunch of different brands. National Wild Turkey Federation has six annual magazines, also discounts to different brands. I mean, there's every one that you join. It's not just, you know, you're not just paying like, you know, typically that membership would be about 35 bucks. And so we are breaking that down and it equates you get a free t-shirt and five memberships for 25 a pop. So um, yeah, that's we're, awesome. trying, we're just trying to make it easy for people to uh, donate and give back to conservation. Well, we need advocates to like, I feel like we all almost need people to keep an eye on the bills, the policies and the different type of politics that are going on. Cause if you're like me and you just try to ignore that stuff, then a lot of this stuff gets slipped through mm -hmm. that you don't even realize is happening half the time. Yeah. So just relying on some of these groups that, I mean, this is what they do. This is the, this is the purpose of them following them, following their content. You, you do have an idea. Like if something does come up in your area, hopefully they'll notify you. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, to add to that point, like all of these groups, you know, like you're getting an, a national membership, but all of the local chapters are keeping an eye on the state bills that are going through and like what yeah. different stuff's happening. So, you know, say you live in, you know, you buy the membership, you live in Ohio, all of a sudden you're going to hear about different bills that are happening in your state, um, different things you need to act on, different, you know, volunteer opportunities for whatever it might be. Um, yeah. So it's, 
Um, I'm, you know, I actually cheated and I made the shirt go live uh, about five minutes early so I could be the first one to buy into the all five <laughs> memberships. Um, even though I'm, I was a member of, of all five to begin with, it just extended them and hey, um, extend another year. That's right. Yep. You do this every year. You're never going to have a lifetime one soon. Yeah. Well, I, I, I actually just became my brother and I just became life members of BHA. So I think we're nice. work, working on collecting them all. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. So what is like, what, well, number one, where should people go? Yeah. Uh, if anybody wants to get involved with this, it is public land tees and that's T E E S.com. So just public land It's the first item on the page that pops up right in the top left corner is the conservation crossing tee. Can't miss it. It's 125 bucks. Yeah. That expensive t-shirt buy that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So where, where did, where did the, I mean, dude, you, you've kind of, establish your whole business and your whole lifestyle around helping conservation like what's the backstory where did where did you get the drive to you know because you're to there's, a lot different business, there's a lot of different business models and this is i mean this is a, a unique one like yeah where, did, where think, did the passion come from so just you know growing up hunting always took everything for granted uh like expect like just the opportunity and as I got a little older and you start to, you know, pay a little bit more attention to some of these, these groups and what they're saying and bills that are happening and stuff that's trying to be passed and whatever, I think, um, really it happened back in 2016 is when, like what, when the chance of losing public lands happened, uh, I just felt like I needed to be involved and needed to be a, somewhat of a voice in any way that I could to at least educate people on how they could get involved. So what happened and, in 2016? So 2016 was, uh, it was an election year and probably was fun. What's that? Probably a fun year like this yeah, year. Yeah. Super fun year. Yeah. No pandemic. So, you know, it wasn't too bad. Uh, but there was a, a ton of legislation, um, that was potentially going to get passed that would have transferred the management of federal lands to the States. And it was marketed as this uh, states' rights issue. You know, states are can be quicker to act. They can make better decisions. They can make faster decisions. They can, you know, do all these things with lands if it's under their management. And that sounds great. I'm a I'm a huge advocate for states' rights and and smaller federal government. But when it comes to the vast amount of federally managed land, like long story short, states can't afford to manage the land because they have to manage manage for a positive budget. They can't uh, budget. They can't manage at a deficit. And so what happens is the, it's a fast track to privatization or selling off of public lands um, to big energy is really what it comes down to, or big, you know, big, big money. Um, and so there was a, a big chance that we were going to lose a ton of access and a ton of like just wild places that have been established as uh, areas for that is that was established originally as to be held in public trust. So we all own it because we're taxpayers, because we live in America, the USA, because of these things, we have access to these lands simply because of how they were set up. So losing that, you know, 640 million acres, um, losing any of that would have been just awful. So that's where, it, that's where it stemmed from. And, uh, and then from there, like, obviously, as I learned more about it and got more involved with it, like you just start to see, different ways that, uh, you know, maybe conservation organizations can't do. Um, and this was, this was one of those things that, that seemed, um, like a win for everybody. And 
the what? idea for what oh yeah just the idea for conservation crossing was just a way to maybe uh allow people to make it easier for them to get involved you know not have to go to several different websites to become enrolled as a member and not have you know it's as easy as that is like you know this is this is just easier so i'm just kind of trying to streamline the the world of conservation a little bit it's awesome dude a brilliant idea what is the like what's an do you know an example of like what a poor like what's a poor example of of like management of public land like is, is is there states that have done a poor job is there certain pieces that the federal government did not do a good job to uphold um i know we had didn't we have like a pretty big something in the legislation passed earlier or late in 20 last year where we got like a bunch of more protected land i don't i think a lot of people don't understand kind of the this process like do you have any examples of of poorly ran well, pieces or do you have like do you have some more insight on like the legislation that passed at the end of, end of 2020 uh I, I don't know if you're talking about the great american outdoors act which yep. did yep great american outdoors act the the most important part of that bill was mm -hmm. the full and permanent funding of the land and water conservation fund and so that's 900 million dollars a year that is used for everything from river access to parks to baseball fields to um whatever it's basically funded for recreation and uh habitat management that stuff so every single county in the u.s has received money from the land and water conservation fund, fund since its inception but it was only i never remember if it's just one or two times we'll call it say two times only twice in its history had it been fully funded and so it was you know can be funded up to 900 million dollars a year well then it was had to be appropriated every year and they almost never uh fully funded it which is ridiculous because all the money comes off of uh, offshore oil exploration royalties and so it's not costing the taxpayer a dime um for that money it was just out there it was it was basically a way to okay we're going to explore for oil and in doing so we know that we're probably there's probably going to be some impact on um wildlife and habitat and, and everything and this is a way to like kind of reintroduce that money into places to increase habitat and increase management so um that was one of the biggest it's things like a, it's like a correction yeah and uh and then i'd have to look at the bill again or look at some of it, but i know they opened up um they didn't really, they didn't necessarily open up. They protected some more land in more like wilderness area. It helped with a lot of thing. access too, didn't it? Like it yeah, it actually opened a lot more land of the national refuge system open to hunting, not waterfowl hunting, because that's what the refuge system is for, is migratory bird species. But for other types of hunting, it opened it. Yeah, yeah that's awesome, dude. Great explanation. Yeah. Try. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, if we look at the history of like state lands, uh, each state was given a ton of land like during uh, homesteading and like early on in statehood and the majority of it is gone. So it's pretty easy to see like what happens if, uh, if it's managed by the what states. Was, so the, what was the, what do, you, what do you think the idea was in 16? Like what was the, what was behind all of it? Yeah, mostly big, mostly big money, uh, big like energy. Um, especially oil and gas because like a lot of the massive oil reserves and stuff are underneath those public lands and the our public land system is set up to be multi-use um but that that also requires like 
you know, environmental impact statements and uh, research on if they can, if they can do it without destroying the entire thing. So you get rid of that and you can just start drilling. Oh, it's so odd when, when, because this is, this is politics. Like a lot of this stuff, all, all these decisions get made on political floors. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, it's a confusing thing because on one hand, like you have, like you would think gun rights and kind of like the right to bear arms is supported by more on the right. And then this weird conservation effort and like protecting public lands is actually like anti-right. And it's like, it doesn't make sense. It's all contradictory to like, I don't understand it, but I guess the involvement of oil and, and different Mm -hmm. big corporations, it, it makes some sense, but yeah. Yeah. It just comes down to money. And I think people need to just understand that it's, it's still okay to uh, agree with one side of the aisle on some things and disagree with other things and then agree with the other side of the aisle on some things and disagree. Oh, that's, all right. that's all right. Like, you know, you don't have to necessarily be like hundred percent one way or the other. Like, you know, we live in a land of the free, so we can, we can make yeah, And that's the frustrating on... thing. Cause when you vote for people, mm-hmm. they could be like, <clears throat> like if I'm going to vote right, they could, they could have 10 of the 15 or like 14 of the 15 things that are important to me. I'm on board with, but if they fuck up this, that's kind of a big thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's, yep. so it's, it's tough. It's yeah. Yeah. We still need that common sense party, man. We just, how will your mom start working on that? Huh? Right. Yeah. I need to get her <laughs> back into politics now. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I know you're busy in the whole launch. I think is going pretty well. We will put out a bunch of information on that with links and everything. Please head over to the Public Land Tees page, buy the $125 t-shirt. Um, what a cool consolation prize. You get to be put in pretty awesome groups for a year. Um, and then you get to support an awesome cause. So anything yeah. else, my man? Did we miss anything? No, man. I think that's it. Like that's the that's the big news right now. Yeah, and it is big news. So head over there, Public Land Tees. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Sam, for joining us once again. And what's uh, what's your parting words to everybody? Parting words is just uh, good luck this year. Have fun this spring. And go get involved some way, yeah. shape, or form. Do something. Do something. That's for sure. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks. <laughs>